Welcome to Mad Influence. Before we start today, I want to say thank you to everyone who's been listening recently. And if you do enjoy the episodes, if you could rate the podcasts on Apple Podcasts, I would be really grateful. I know that all podcasts say this, but it genuinely will make a difference to how many people can find it. And it only takes a second. So if you can leave a rating, I would really appreciate it. This is a podcast about how the marketing industry uses its influence on society. We all know that marketers can have a bad rep. Let's be honest, we're one of the least trusted professions in the world, ranking somewhere alongside politicians and journalists at the bottom of every poll from the last few years. But what about the people who use their positions of influence to spread positive messages, entertain the world or inspire social change? I'm Helen Saul, I work in brand marketing, and I'm hosting this podcast so that I can speak to some of these people about our role in influencing culture and investigate how we can all use our power more for good. My guests today are Adam Barry and Lee Wilcox, founders of the social media publisher Electric House and the construction-based community On The Tools. Meeting as school friends, Lee and Adam went on to run their successful businesses together. They most recently made headlines after partnering with TikTok, the UK Space Agency and the Royal Society of Chemistry to live stream the Perseverance rovers landing on Mars to a new generation of space enthusiasts. This was distributed by the Ministry of Brand that they created to inform, educate and entertain people on science, history and trivia. Adam and Lee have also built communities of millions, contributed to important topics like mental health, whilst at the same time never taking themselves too seriously. As hosts of three of their own podcasts, The Bolt, The Drunken Brainwave and 0121, today's episode should be a breeze for them. In their own words, six years ago, we embarked on a journey together that neither of us could ever imagine would be so fulfilling, exciting, stressful and life changing. We've built an incredible team, done incredible work and genuinely feel grateful every day. So far, it's been epic and the next five years are going to see us make history. We've never been so sure of something in all our lives. Well, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having us. It's a great intro, isn't it? You're very welcome. I'm happy to have you both here today. I think a great place to start would just be if you could both introduce yourselves as the two of you so people can tell the difference between who you are. Yeah, sure. So I'm Lee Wilcox. I'm co-founder and CEO, mainly dealing with day-to-day strategy and influence, I guess, through the business. The visionary, aren't you, Lee? I'd say. The visionary, yeah, that's it. Uh, And I'm Adam Barry. Chief Content Officer, co-founder, Lee's best friend, uh, and I oversee all the social channels and all the communities. Amazing. And what I'm quite interested about, you just said that you're best friends, and I think you met in maybe high school from my research. Maybe it was earlier than that, I'm not sure. And I wondered, yeah, when was it? Was it when you were kids? Yeah. Junior school? Yeah, yeah. yeah Primary school? Um, I'd say we, we put it back to, I moved to Wilnico, which is where we're from in Tamworth when I was 10 and we went to the same school then. So we put it around about 10 years old is when we first met, but we used to go on family holidays together. That's how kind of close knit we were. I'd go away with Lee's mom and dad and he'd come away with mine. And yeah, I've been, uh, unfortunately been together ever since, haven't we? Yeah. Oh, it sounds so cute, doesn't it? Do you think that you ever would have imagined as kids that you would go into business together? No, I guess not. I mean, people tell you not to, don't they? You know, that's, it's always the thing. I think things have changed. I think businesses are built around different visions now. Really, the reason people say, 
don't start a business with your friend is because you fall out about money, right? But I just think times have changed and businesses are, are started and created for different purposes now and not just about let's make a load of dough. So I think it's kind of worked, hasn't it? We haven't fell out yet, so. Not yet. I think we're very, very <laughs> self-aware. <laughs> not yet. We're very self-aware though, aren't we? And there's never been a struggle for, I think a lot of people fall out sometimes is because they both like to be the boss. And I think from day one, it was like, Lee, you, you're the boss. I've failed. I've had failed businesses in the past. And I'm like, look, I'm good at ideas. I'm good at supporting the number one. So I'll sort of sit there and you can lead. And yeah, I think we've been fine ever since. I think that's a really good point. Like when you know each other's strengths and weaknesses. And actually, that would be really nice to hear a bit about what are the biggest positives about working with your best friend? Because we always hear about the negatives, but not that often do you see the other side of it. It's a good point. Um, I think for me, it's being able to be honest because we've known each other. We know all the good things about each other, all the terrible things. So there's nothing really that could ever happen where we're like, I don't really want to say anything about that subject. So I think that's really helped really knowing each other and really being able to sort of have those honest conversations, which we've had over the years. You know, we've both had these conversations where we've had to go, look, pull yourself together. We've got to we've got to get on with this. Uh, so I think honesty is definitely a, a positive. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I couldn't agree more with that because I think the tough conversations bit is is key when you're running a business with anyone. So if you can get past those quickly or get to the the relationship and notion that those conversations have to happen and we very much just have those and then get on with it. I think the other bit for me is like what we're doing is is amazing, you know, and, and, and I feel fortunate enough to be doing it in the first place, you know, let alone doing it with my best mate. And also bear in mind as well, the other shareholders are people that we've known for years. Like, so Ian and Mark, we went to school with them. So I used to play football with them when I was younger. So we've known them since similar ages. And Andy, I worked with for eight years in previous roles. So we're very, very close knit. So I think for me, it would be actually be able to sort of share everything we've done together. Like it's pretty incredible, really. Yeah, definitely. And we're going to get into in a minute exactly what it is you're doing. But what I'd like to do before we do that is understand a little bit about your background and how it took you to what you do today. So I know you've both done quite different things before. And I wondered just if you could explain a little bit about what it was you were doing and how that then took you to your businesses that you have now. Do you want to start, Lee? <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, the role I was doing before I was working in franchising. So I, and I, and I worked in that business for like eight years, but during the time that I worked there and previous to that, I have done incredible amounts of, of jobs and failed at them, you know, like, and, and I think then what actually happened probably a couple of years before me and I started this business was we had lots of like failed ideas before that of like trying to become sort of self-employed or business owners or entrepreneur whatever you want to kind of call it I think it was inbuilt in us and we probably used to try and do it more when we were together <laughs> yeah uh, we'll probably talk around some of the failed ideas but I mean actual job role was yeah I was a sports franchising which is like sort of small-sided football leagues that's kind of what I worked in before yeah and for me it was um construction so you know we always say Lee was like the self-confessed tech geek and I was sort of like the experienced trader, and that's how On The Tools came about. But I was in the trade for 12 years. Love talking about my time in the trade. Although it was tough, it very much got me to where I am today. A lot of uh, hard skills you learn being sort of like a self-employed or a business owner in, in construction. 
but yeah, before that, I just had a host of jobs. I, I was a toilet cleaner at a, our local service station. Um, used to make exhibition stands. I used to put tomatoes on sandwiches in the sandwich factory as well. I was a tomato man. Did try and work my way up to, to the butter man, but didn't quite get there. Uh, but yeah, just uh, like Lee said, we've had a whole host of failed ventures, which I'm actually looking forward to talking about because I just love talking about Lee's failed ventures. They're great. Well, let's do it then. What what are the biggest failed ventures that you have been part of that have actually now you can look back at and say, okay, I did learn something from that? I'll, I'll, I'll start with Lee's, my favourite one of Lee's. It really <laughs> makes me laugh every time we talk about it. But Lee, could you explain to any, anyone listening your idea of walk the Nordic way, please? It's difficult to explain really with any sanity. Um <sighs> I always start this off with a, with a position of like, look, I think I was going through a period, whatever that might have been. I'd seen this idea around uh, this thing called Nordic walking, which is basically like, you know, like you walk in poles as you would, I don't know if they're called that, but they were sort of extendable ones, right? They were longer. And the whole point of it is, if you want to say that, it's like a full body exercise when you do this thing. Anyway, I went, bizarrely went to London and walked around Richmond Park for two days with three other weirdos. And um we sort of learn from an instructor how to then teach Nordic walking. I bought all the gear for everything and then, you know, found my field that was going to take people around and then realised that I must have been having a breakdown or something and realised that this was probably one of the worst ideas ever. I had a logo done. It was called Walk the Nordic Way, hence adds a reference to it. Yeah, it was, it was a terrible, terrible... I was going to charge people to walk around a field, effectively. So, the, so this was Nordic walking, but in where you were at the time? In in Tamworth. In Tamworth. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't sound very scalable as a product. Is probably what you would uh, what you would say. So yeah, it, it didn't last very long. That was one of mine. I've had some better ideas than that, I would say, but um, that's probably the funniest, the worst one. Yeah, it's the one I always go to just to embarrass him. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of my favourites. We should bring that back one day, Lee. I'm just gonna to get. See. I'm gonna do a company uh, company day on it, um, like a sports day, but a Nordic day. I love it. Is there anything that you took from that experience, though? <laughs> no. Um, no, not really. <laughs> I mean, well, no, I can't say there is. I mean, I already had a good work ethic. I, you know, I, I was committed to it. I went down there and did that two-day course. Saved my granddad, I remember, in London. And even he was like, what is it? What? I don't, I don't get it. Um, and he was the most supportive person ever. Uh, no, I, there wasn't too much to learn from it, if I'm being honest. Maybe, like, don't with stupid ideas maybe that's something that i learned something in there okay so if we move on then from your stupid ideas to some of your better ones into what it is you do today do you think you could explain a little bit about electric house and on the tools yeah so on the tools was one of our better ideas but ultimately there's no flair or science behind how it was sort of created we we were drunk on a friday night and um Ad was moaning about the fact he couldn't find a plasterer on a job that he was on. And I was just adamant that there would be something out there to connect tradespeople. You had things like checker trade and rated people, things like that, but they were very much B2C. They weren't, you know, that would be if you or I wanted a vetted electrician to come to our house and do work. It wasn't, you know, how do I find my next job on, on site somewhere? So we just came up with the idea for a recruitment app. That, like, that's kind of, it was a tech startup. Ultimately, we were going to create an app that would sit in between the contractor and the subcontractor and try and remove recruitment from the industry. Like that was like, you know, 
kind of like the vision, let's like kill all the recruiters. But we just had no money. You know, we were absolutely broke. And so we we used three credit cards to try and get this thing built on Elance and sort of sent it off there. And then we were just stood there being like, wow, what do we, that's being done by someone else. What do we do, you know? And I'd came up with the idea for creating the Facebook page, you know, around having tradespeople in one place so that a year later, if we had 100,000 tradespeople in the UK that we could launch the app to, we would launch it, they would download it, we would sell the app, we would be rich. Like that was like the, that was the business model. That was the plan. And then after three months, we had 250,000 people following the page and, and we'd quickly realised that we were onto something that, one, that we hadn't thought of, but two, that we really didn't understand, actually. And then it sort of like propelled us into, into other areas, which that was the start. That was how we sort of came up with the idea, definitely. And then in terms of Electric House, could you explain a little bit about, because that's the publishing platform, right? Yeah. So we we had this recruitment app and that was the vision we've got to like keep construction and we always say it was the best thing that we, we never did because it never launched we we got it back after the first year and it didn't work and we've basically just been ripped off but but during that year because we were running the community we started to see other opportunities come so the community were asking for merch basically like hoodies t-shirts things like that so we just put stuff out on the page asking for slogans of um, within the trade and then we picked the ones with the most likes in the thread and then made some really like rubbish designs set up a Shopify store two days later and then we sold 800 pounds worth of merch in that first week when I went and quit my job and everyone thought that I'd lost my mind you know but I knew there was something there and in that first month we did 15,000 pounds worth of sales um, through the store and two months later I'd left the literal on the tools and moved on to uh, onto the, the proper on the tools. And then that sort of shaped how we move forward then. We were utilizing the community to make, you know, monetization options and constantly sort of creating content for them. And then we just realized that looking more broadly, that the publishing industry across social media was starting to sort of appear. You know, you had the likes of Lab Bible, Unilad, VT, some of these like global pages starting to, to grow out of nowhere from short form viral video. You know, at this point we were moving into I don't know, about seven, 800,000 followers, predominantly based within the UK construction industry. We'd got, we'd built a community without even realizing we'd done it. And then, then we was like, well, all these other publishers are working with brands. Why can't we work with brands, you know? And then we did what we always did. We tested it, didn't do a very good job at it. And then we got better at it and, then we realized that we were in a bit of a sticking point because we'd started to build other communities and acquire communities. And we were like, we're still called on the tools, but we've got other communities that we're trying to like represent. None of this is making any sense. That's where we came up with having this sort of like parent company, this publishing group and Electric House was sort of born in October, 2019. And Electric House was actually the name of the first office building we had. It was uh, this little tiny room with prison bars on the window, but we felt like when on the tools, the name was really easy. It came like, yeah, that's it. makes total sense. Whereas we had real trouble, didn't we? I had trying to name Electric House. It was a, like a two-month process that just felt like mm. oh, it's horrible. Um, I think I think I was one of the early adopters for Electric House. I think as soon as were, I went Electric House, and then it was like... I, I wrote, I remember the night, I wrote a massive long list sent it over to Adam, the guys, and you, the first one you picked out was Electric House. We nearly called it Electric Pig because of uh, there was a pub that we all used to drink at called The Pig. And we were like, 
electric house, you know, electric pig. Anyway, the logo didn't work and electric house did. And then we were like, that's it. So electric house now sits as that parent publishing group. It owns all of the communities and it sits as that services group to work with brands and social platforms to really sort of empower and improve the communities wherever we can. Like that's kind of like the, uh, the vision for electric house. Well, I think, first of all, I think your name, you definitely netted out on the right one in the end, because I think it's yeah. a brilliant name. And... Don't like Electric Pig? <laughs> no, I'm sure about Electric Pig. I don't know if it's got quite the same ring to it. Um, but also, it's just so interesting to hear how it scaled from one thing and it's gone into something much bigger and much wider. And when you were telling that story at the start, you mentioned that you were broke and you had to, you know, use credit cards. And it reminded me of something that I saw that Adam, I think you posted on LinkedIn. And it was a story that you told about this satchel that the two of you used to share. And I wondered if you could explain a little bit about that and why it's an important story to share now. Yeah, we were, we've got, we've got quite a good backstory to be fair, haven't we, between the two of us. I know everyone's got a backstory, but there was a, a time within the first, I'd say 18 months to two years where we were broke to, to the point where at one stage, neither one of us had a car because we couldn't afford to get them fixed. Mine went first, then Lee's, Lee had this Burgundy Mondeo, then that went to the, the scrapyard in the sky, didn't it? Um, so we, we ended up walking to work for like three or four months because we just didn't have a car between the two of us. But we started going out to client meetings. At this point, we, we didn't have a car, and we wanted to look a little bit more presentable. So we thought a nice uh, leather satchel would do the trick. So we debated as well. We was like, should we, should we go, should we go to, I think it was River Island or next. Should we go to River Island and get ourselves, you know, a nice looking satchel? They, you know, they'll take us seriously then, won't they? Uh, so off we went. And I think we actually put it on a credit card because we couldn't afford. We did. We, no, well, yeah, we did. We and we, I think we debated on whether we were going to get one each. This is how little money we had. And we just said, now nah, we'll just share it. Um, like a kid after a divorce. It was like, it what, was like, yeah, who's going to get I remember from that, because we were on the way to um, a meeting in Leeds. And it was the reason we were getting the satchels. Because I remember you'd said, we can't just turn up with like our, our pens and our pad in our hands. Like we look like idiots, you know. So we stopped off on the way. And... I remember leaning into the window because we, and also to get to this meeting, we'd hide a car. Well, actually, no, I'll tell you what we did. We pretended we were going to buy a car and they let us test drive it for, for two days so we could get to this meeting. It was a nice car that? as well. That BMW. Brand new BMW. Very stuff. Oh, it looked like it a worked. white Batmobile. It was oh, incredible. It was amazing, weren't it? Yeah, it was so nice. And then I was hanging my head in the window of the car saying to you, I don't know, you know, and all in my head, I remember thinking, I can't put two cards on because if the other shareholders see that we're spending money on, bags they're going to be like what are you doing so we got one and shared it yeah yeah and we still got it we've still got it yeah we've it's in the office actually it's in our it's in the boardroom on display (laughs) it's not quite framed but we've got it on display on a shelf and when when people come in we go not like that i ask what the satchel's there for we go see that satchel and then we tell the story of the satchel I mean, it's nice to have something to look back on now to see how far you've come. And like, you really have come such a long way since that time. And I mean, one of the reasons I approached you, I've seen like loads of stuff you've done. But one thing that really caught my attention was the work that you've done recently with the UK Space Agency and TikTok about the Mars landing. And I wondered if you could explain a little bit, first of all, like how it came about and then what it actually is for anyone that's not aware of what you did. 
Yeah, I mean, look, we I think because of what we do with Electric House and really as part of that vision, we sort of exist to build UK communities. And by doing that, we have to be first to platforms, you know, and I think particularly with TikTok, we didn't, you know, when I look at it from an on the tools perspective, we were really unsure whether it was the right fit and whether we were just actually going back to sort of old school territory of just po- reposting UGC and um, for anyone listening, like user generated content that we get from the community. But we kind of knew we needed to be there. Do you know what I mean? So we drove that forward. But in doing that quite early on, we were fortunate enough to be able to build a relationship with the platform. I think out of all the social platforms that have launched the past decade, TikTok were really forthcoming in terms of building relationships with publishers. It took us years to get anything with Facebook. We're, you know, in pretty deep with them now, if you, you know, from a partnership perspective, but it took so long. Yet we had huge growth. It was the only platform we were on. You know, we felt like we were doing an amazing job, but it was just, I guess, different ways on how they launched and stuff. But so, yeah, it, allowed, it got us into a good positioning, really, a platform perspective, which then allowed us to pull our other communities on there and maybe just give us a bit more opportunity but the ministry of stuff came later and really because of lockdown uh, i would probably argue as well yeah so we we ended up partnering with tiktok during their learn on tiktok campaign and we sort of pitched i think about eight communities at them because we were like we can do communities all day long so we had like ministry of fitness ministry of munch uh, ministry of life we had loads of different sort of verticals to the ministry of and we've ended up settling with sort of three that we feel have had the most engagement. We've settled with Ministry of Science, Ministry of History and Ministry of Trivia. And we've kind of created ourselves a, a bit of a star in Max. So Max actually came to work for us as, I think it was a videographer, wasn't it, Lee? On our branding. Yeah, content. it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he came in and when the, when the opportunity came up, we just said to the team, look, anyone want to get involved in terms of like being the face? And we had a few people say, yeah, we'd love to get involved in the content. And Max just was a natural and we've kind of built ourselves this mini influencer within the business. And he just pushes that forward now, but that's enabled us to partner with TikTok whenever they've got sort of an an initiative or anything that they want to push. We're one of the first people they come to. And with the Mars landing, there was just no one else sort of better suited than we were to sort of go forward with that. And they, they, we were the first person that asked, they said, look, you have to do this for us. So that's kind of how it came about. And what was the reaction when it went live? Oh, it was huge. I think we had, I mean, I'll have to check the figures, but I'm sure there was like 100,000 people watching during the live. And it was, I think it was like around about an hour long, but I managed to sort of create a, a bit of a cult following. So when we've introduced new people to the channel or when we've Max has changed his hairstyle or anything like that, people just love to comment with him and love to engage with him. So I think that's the, the special thing about the community is, as long as it's relatable, as long as it's something to do with science, then they're there to watch it. Um, And we wouldn't have thought that Max sitting there for an hour with the UK space station, people would be like, oh no, this is good. Cause it's the complete opposite of what they're there for. You know, they're there for this like short form content. Whereas this this is really long compared to like anything else you've seen on TikTok. So I think it just shows what we're we're building on there. And it's kicked on like other opportunities, hasn't it elsewhere? I guess just from, like other platforms and other opportunities we've got with series content. And so it, it's been a really interesting and, and actually it's kicked on further partnerships with TikTok in terms of lives and scheduled stuff through the, through their homepage. And it was a great event for us to do. Yeah, definitely. There's a couple of things that you said there that I want to ask you about. I think the first one is I find it really interesting that 
you hired Max as a videographer originally, and now you've kind of almost got this in, let's call him an in-house influencer <laughs> or whatever you want to call him. And you also mentioned about the fact that you were an early adopter of TikTok. And it just made me think, it sounds like you are people that are okay to kind of change your plan and you don't have to be like okay well we've hired this person to do this job so now he is that forever or we use this channel so that's the only one we're going to use so I wondered how important is that to you that you're open to change and trying new things and going in a different direction if you need to I think we've done it from the start haven't we Lee I mean Lee's made us read a book called um, Good to Great and we, everyone was reading it last night because we have to do like a bit of a book club today where we all bring the book and go, yes, this is what we learned. But a really good thing in that book was putting people in the right places. And that is a great example of like Max. Yes, he would have been a fantastic videographer. He still is. He still shoots. But really using him to his strengths and putting him on the things that are going to grow the business rather than being in those positions where people are like problem solving. But yeah, Lee, you can explain about how we've gone from one thing to another. The way I, I say is I feel like we're a ball and we've been put into a, a pinball machine and someone's just launched us but we're going in the right direction but we're just going like this pinging all the way up yeah I actually used your analogy this morning I don't know an interview and, and um, it's exactly that I just think now the machine's getting a bit smaller and a bit narrower so we do we do less pinging about I think the the key thing is with it and to add to point you know your people are your biggest asset but it's not actually it's the right people in the right places are your, are your biggest asset and I, I think it's so key but in terms of like sticking to plans I think I don't think you'd be too precious over your plans, right? Because whatever they are plans, they are visions of what might happen. And you know what? None of us can predict the future. So they're always wrong. So you can't get too like fixated on what that looks like. But I think for me, it's more around focus. So if something is gathering traction and it can be beneficial and it fits the general direction of travel, then like, lean into it, get on with it, you know, and if things, oh, but we were meant to be doing this. Yeah, well, things change. And and it is a balance because you don't want to, you don't want to grow a business with lots of people in where actually the, the the mantra is, oh, we don't care about what we were meant to be doing. You don't want it to sort of be this thing where we switch and change every five minutes. But I, I'm a big believer in in focusing on on things that have, have got traction and actually focus in general. So having too many things, you know, to, to go out, that doesn't get us anywhere either. You know, a couple of three things drive forward on them. And if one of them has to change, it's not working. Just can it like, don't worry about it. You know, we, me and Adam, we said story. We, um, when we had the online store, cause we, we ended up shutting it down, but at the time we shut it down, Ad's wife worked for it. And my mom did, but we shut it down because we knew it wasn't the right thing to do. No, we didn't sack them. Like, um, they still had jobs. We moved, you know, luckily we were a growing business so we could move people in different directions. But you can be, you know, we were quite sentimental about the, the online store because it was our first bit of money that we made, you know, and it was the plan. It's part of the plan. But it changed. We weren't trying to be the biggest workwear brand. We were trying to be the biggest media brand and we needed some, some more focus on that. And really, actually, that was the best decision we made. A, a real poignant point. I remember having the, the the board meeting and us all getting around the town and being like, what are we trying to do? And we made that decision and we haven't looked back and, that allowed us to get to the electric house point, which is allowed to get to, to now. I think that's one thing we've become really good at, Lee, is understanding what we can be the best at and also understanding what we're not very good at. And, yeah. you know, the workwear shop, it was good, but we were never going to be the best workwear brand. So it made sense for us to get rid of it. And I think now we really know what we want to be. And I actually think we can be the best in, in that area. So that's important. 
Definitely. And I think as well, you mentioned before, I think early on, you said that you think you're both quite self-aware and that really comes across when you're talking and saying, we know what we're good at and we know what we're not. And also when you're talking about focus, I find that really interesting as well. And it just kind of made me wonder, I I imagine now you kind of have more of a pick of stuff. Maybe in the past you were kind of going with, you know, the projects that came your way. But I imagine as you've scaled, you have more choice over the sorts of areas you could go into. The one we discussed earlier, you were doing something really useful in terms of building learning around like science, other things like trivia, etc. And I wondered, is there a focus of a particular type of thing that you like to do? I think an example from from my side would be being in charge of the content and the communities would be on the tools um, and making sure that we're servicing them as a community, not just with funny videos. And all this came off the back of a talk leaded, probably going back maybe three years now, Lee, when you got absolutely murdered in a in a talk somewhere i can't remember where it was you'll have to fill that bit in yeah it was yeah in london it was uh, the construction marketing event yeah i can't remember what, what the name of it but i did get absolutely battered on it yeah so part of that was i think league was getting asked questions about you know what he's doing to support the community and you know like bringing different genders to the forefront of the community um, equality within the community and stuff like that uh, quite brutal questions if i remember rightly but it made us sort of stand up and say they've got a point like hold on a minute like and being completely honest we didn't start on the tools to change the industry and make it better for their mental health or innovation or technology it was it was like we can deal with the recruitment thing which i think cutting the recruiters out was a good thing but it was all based on financial gain that's why i started it but along the journey it's become much more than that to me now so it's like okay how can we actually help these people so what we've done was we created six content pillars which fit within the community. So if it doesn't fit one of these six content pillars, then we don't create content around it. One of those being well-being, because in construction, you're three times more likely to commit suicide than any other industry. So there's a reason for that. It's not just a coincidence that it's construction. It's all of the things that happen in construction because it's quite an archaic industry. You've got late payers all the time. Lots of people are self-employed. They don't get holiday pay. They don't get sick pay. Um, Their employers tend to be smaller outfits. So they haven't got the support like your big corporates have got, you know, a lot of people that work for us, we, we put them through training, you know, they get holiday pay, sick pay, they get looked after a lot of these small companies in construction. They don't get that. All these things add towards your sort of mental health. So we thought it was really important to start introducing content that helps people and putting things in place for that. I'm really interested in that, actually, because I think what you say is really important. And I imagine that the general conversation around well-being, there's a lot of like stereotypes about it. And I think possibly some of those stereotypes don't necessarily automatically blend with the construction industry. And, you know, lots of people saying that well-being is about, I don't know, like yoga or like whatever. And I wondered, how do you make the the content more relevant to the industry that you're targeting for really real reasons because you've just told me that there's a much higher risk of suicide for example is it that you go and speak to people in the community I know Adam you have a background in it where do you start with that yeah we've got we've got um, a number of groups as well so we've got a number of Facebook groups we've got a women's on the tools group plumbers carpenters and then we've got obviously the main page various platforms for on the tools but we do talk to them a lot 
We go through the comments, we try and find out, you know, why people are feeling that way. And actually we've worked with quite a few of our partners on finding these things out as well. So we've done campaigns with Simply Business and Direct Line, Juicen, all around finding out, you know, how can we actually help? What are the causes of, of people's mental well-being within the industry? And it's helped us to identify what they are. And, you know, like tool theft is a, is a massive one because when someone's van gets broken into, they've got the cost of the van to fix if they've got to get it back on the road, get it secured again. They've got the cost of the tools. And because tradesmen's tools are sort of like they're everything, if you get two, three, four thousand pounds worth of tools stolen, you just can't go out the next day and replace them. Not everyone can. So that was one, one thing that we wanted to hone in on. How do we try and help with tool theft? Another one was like non-payers and late payers. How do we put things in place to try and, you know, start talking about these things? So we listen to the community because I've, I'm six years out of the trade now. So I'm kind of out of touch. So there's only one way we can do that. And that's by like talking to the community and listening to what they've got to say. And then hopefully, you know, serving that content back to them in a way that educates the rest of the community. We've also, we've got tradespeople who, that we utilize for for content creation as well so there's a back and forth conversation there so, uh, i guess more of a focus group approach to it we're actually in the process of employing more tradespeople within the group as well just as an actual ongoing consultancy perspective so that we don't lose that because obviously the electric house is getting bigger and bigger and bigger with you know on the tools is one of those communities that you you know like I just said, you spend a bit of time out of it and it changes. Like, and it can't change without us knowing about it. I guess that's um, it's a, a real key part to it. Just on that as well, we set up a, a live Facebook show and podcast during the first lockdown because the construction industry, no one talked about it. The government didn't talk about it when it all started happening. And everyone in construction was like, what about us? Like, does anyone care what we're doing? Um, and they kind of got left behind. And then when the grants came in, it worked out when they very first got mentioned that it would be three months before anyone would even receive a grant. So if you was out of work, which, you know, a good number of people were, they had to survive for three months without any income whatsoever. So we set up a Talking Trade, which is a live Facebook show hosted by tradespeople. Everyone that was on was a guest uh, that was in the trade or they had a close connection with the trade. So it might have been someone high up in CITB or it might have been someone from the government or it might have been someone from a, a you know, like a big uh, merchant just to talk about things that were happening to people there and then the supply chain, people's mental health, people's mental well-being. So we got a lot of information off the back of that as well. And that is still going strong now. So a year on, we're still doing talking trade. We turned it into a podcast and it goes out every week and it's it's actually been one of our, if not our best series of content. And uh, it's one that I thought, I don't know how this is going to go down because people are just used to seeing people having a laugh on a building site and, you know, our funny sketches and our comedy. They're not used to sitting there and watching someone talk about construction. You know, it sounds pretty boring just to say, it, doesn't it? But it's just been a massive hit since we started it. I think that's really interesting to hear and it's yeah really important because if there's no one else out there kind of creating that conversation you were there doing it at a time when like you say the construction industry was really overlooked and I'm interested as well in that you said you set up a sort of podcast I don't even think I mentioned that one in my introduction and I mentioned three <laughs> so it seems like you both have this knack well obviously for creating content because that's your job but for really like setting up podcasts and interviewing people obviously I've just set up this podcast in the past year so I wondered what is it that you love about doing that and kind of connecting with people for me I just love squeezing as much value out of something as we can um, and also I think part of my job is 
to understand where people's attention is. And we might not get, you know, a hundred thousand or a million people listening to that podcast, but some people like to consume our content through audio. So that was a, a kind of the reason we, we put that on a podcast. Yeah, I, I think we're kind of addicted to um, creating things. We think about all the ideas we had ahead of like on the tools and the business and everything like that. But then now we've got the business, we've kind of got this incubator for more ideas and things that we can build on top of. But even more so now, we probably feel like we've got more of a responsibility to do more of these things, I guess, you know, like the, you spoke about that talk earlier, like I got battered on stage. I, I got, I took the train home two hours and sat there being like, that was the joke. Like what? I'm like, I've run the construction industry. It's not my problem. But then when I woke up the next hour, I was like, mm, maybe they've got a point. Maybe we should be doing more. Like we've got all these people in one spot and we're, you know, are we doing enough type thing, which is, I mean, interesting. We started another podcast with um, Sir Robert McAlpine called The 1%, and it's all about moving the needle on women within construction because for the past decade, actually boots on the ground in construction, the percentage of women in those roles have stayed at 1%. So we're trying to move that to two or three or wherever we can get it to. Do you know what I mean? So, But I think on the whole, what we do really is just try and look at the communities we've got and then the mediums in which we can output on because i think what you can do is as a business if you're a brand then there's definitely further financial constraints that are put into marketing yeah so depending on which brand you are you you'll see more value in marketing than others right whereas as a publisher we kind of have to publish like that's the game yeah so we can't be like oh we're just not going to do it over there we have to do it see if it works if it doesn't fine you know like we've got loads of stuff going on with clubhouse at the minute and we're like okay how do we you know and and, and there's lots of people within the business that are like mm, don't know whether it's going to fit or not but we're all in agreement well yeah that's fine but we've got to we have to test it we have to see if it fits if it does fit i'm sure it'll fit for our partners it'll fit for our communities and then we we kind of go from there do you know what i mean so i think the the podcasting part for, for us is always like well we build the community first we then create content and go on those platforms. And then the podcast is another medium that could come off the back of that to help spread the message, build the vision, have some impact. I guess that's kind of where it, it all comes from. And, and the fact that we're addicted to starting things. Definitely. I just wanted to say, just skipping back a little bit there, I really appreciate when you shared that story about you going to this event and how your initial reaction was, this is a waste of my time. Like, I don't know why they're criticizing me. And then the next day reflecting and thinking, actually, maybe I could do more because I don't think enough people are open to admit that maybe they were wrong about something. And I actually did a, an episode recently with someone. It's a woman called Kat Gordon, and she actually founded a movement called the 3% movement. And similarly, it's about increasing right. the percent of women uh, creative directors in the ad industry. And she said to me that she was listening to this podcast by Adam Grant, and he was saying that too many people are embarrassed to look back and say, this is a thing that I used to believe or a thing that I used to think. And they're not willing to actually say, oh, actually, like, that's a sign of growth. I changed my mind. Like, that's a good thing. Yeah, I think it was the initial reaction of just being on set because it was very mind as well what, what, I went, what I went there to do. And it was quite a fault, like, two or three hundred people in there. And, and I was there just to tell the story on the tool. So it was really, like, jovial, like, funny videos and everything. And then Q&A at the end, my usual Q&A is, like, you know, a bit about the business, whatever. Oh, 
it, I, I was like stood there being like, whoa. Um, really took a, a beating on it, you know, on, on gender equality, diversity within the videos that we'd even shown on that day. I'll be, be perfectly honest. So just thinking half the stuff that's been asked of me now, I don't really know how to answer. I'm, I feel really out of depth, you know. And and so that initial reaction, you know, the thing that you deal with things like that is you're like, oh, I'm not, it's not my fault, idiots. But then over, you know, quick, quite quickly, I remember speaking to Ad and, and then the next day we had a good chat about it and I was like, I think they were all right, you know. No, maybe not, you know, I got a bit of, uh, you know, like my backup because I felt like they were aiming it at me, but they weren't aiming it at me really. They're just aiming it on the tools and the business. But, you know, the blend as a as a business owner, when you built something, the blend between the brand and, and yourself, it's not too, not too far removed, you know, so you get quite offended by those things. But I think it was one of the best things that happened to us, definitely. I think it's actually such a natural human instinct to be defensive when we're offering yeah. feedback or criticism. And kind of on that subject, I wondered, have you, well, do you get, do you ever get like negative comments or negative feedback on your content? And if so, how do you manage it? Oh, all the time. Um, I think, it, honestly, it used to really kill me. I, I used to be so attached to the page that I, if the I see old, someone... The old ban hammer would come out, wouldn't it, Ad? Yeah, I used to have the ban hammer. I used to hold the ban hammer like, all day, nine hours a day. What is the ban hammer? The ban hammer. Any, anyone who said a word wrong against the community, I'd just go, you're banned, and they'd just be banned off the off the pages. I think it's it's a t- difficult one to learn. Obviously, now I feel like, you know, we're, we're veterans in it and you've got to look at the information that people are saying, because actually, even when someone comes on and says this content is shit, you should go back to putting, sorry, swearing, yeah, you should go back to putting funny sketches out. Then, you know, we've got to look at that and go, well, actually, that's someone's opinion that tells us that there are people that do still find value in the comedy stuff and they don't quite like this stuff. Now, maybe this stuff isn't suited for this platform. Maybe we turn this stuff into a podcast because it's more conversational, it's more serious, it's not meant to be on Facebook. So I do look at them now and, and try and learn off them and, and try and educate the team into saying, okay, well, what has this told us? You're always going to get your trolls and the trolls are people that just give zero constructive criticism. They're just there to be offensive. And I just think that's anyone, any publisher, any public figure, you go through their feed, you'll just see someone being nasty. So those type of people, if they cross a line, I think, yep, yeah, just just ban them. But anything that we can take value from, that's what I, I actually like those comments. And when people put them to us, sort of like the people's managing the channels, they say, oh, so-and-so said this. I'm like, well, what does that tell you? What can we get from this? Because all that information, even if you feel like it's bad information, you want to talk back as on the tools, you know, piss off <laughs> if i'd never do that you know i want to do that i go actually they're, they're, they're trying to tell us something here they just don't know how to communicate it very well and it, i think it comes to the 80 20 as well again we're really like focused on working on that in in the sense of like if we can keep 80 percent of the community happy with the content we're creating then you're probably on the right thing equally if you've got 80 percent of the people through the feed being like what is this this is great then you know you've probably created the wrong piece of content i just think you, you know you can't please everyone but you do have to like listen to a set of voices that come through back through the channel and that's the difficulty with social publishing right you know every other publisher that's ever existed is one-way conversation you publish you don't get that feedback you social you get it within seconds you can't have thicker skin otherwise we just wouldn't be doing it yeah definitely and it kind of reminds me as well of I had another guest on my podcast called Jack Parsons and he said something similar where he was like if it's a troll then I just discard it and ignore it but if it's someone else 
giving me something relevant and I take it as free consultancy like thanks you've just given me free advice here so it's kind of what you're alluding to and also I'm interested Adam you mentioned about using humor a minute ago and I wondered do you think it's important to use stuff like humor when you are talking about a serious message so for example I don't know earlier on you mentioned mental well-being in the construction industry or if you're talking about another topic that is very serious can you use humor is it important too i think you can yeah um especially with our audience and that's only because we know our audience so if someone asked me the question to an audience i really didn't understand and they said is it okay to use humor i say well i don't know like you know you need to do your research you need to find out what makes them tick but I think very much like the construction industry is very similar to like the armed services. And, you know, they go through a lot of crap in their lives and humor is just one way of coping with it. And I think when you go on to a building site, which is 99% on the tools is male, you know, you've got that sort of like that, I hate to say the word, but that laddie sort of banter flying around. You've got to have a sense of humor to, to work in that environment with those type of people, very, very strong characters working in construction. And I always take it back to when we were at school, we were told if you didn't really get good grades, you were told either join the army or go to work on the construction site. So you ended up getting all the sort of like the class clowns. This is this is what I, in my experience, not across the board, but all the class clowns would all go into construction or the armed forces. So you'd get this sort of like playground environment on the site. And that's, that's why we get these funny videos. And I think that's why people like to watch our content as well. But that goes, you know, when we talk about suicide, because men are so difficult and they don't open up, and they don't want to talk about it. You just have to talk about it in, in a way that they relate to. So sometimes you have to talk, you know, with a bit of a humorous tone or you have to add a few jokes in there, even when you talk about something you know, so serious as suicide. But that's only because we know our audience that we can do that. So I think for us, yes, we feel comfortable doing it. If you watch an episode of Talking Trade, we can be having a laugh about one thing and then straight the next conversation is about something really serious. But yeah, I would advise people to, you know, understand their audience first before taking my advice. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I think it's a really good example. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the construction industry and also the TikTok example, for the space agency. But I wondered, because I know you do like loads more than that. So are there any other projects that you've worked on that you're particularly proud of or really look back at and they make you smile when you think about them? There's one that we're working on at the minute that's not, it's, it's getting launched any minute now. We keep having problems with it. But yeah, we um, just partnered with <laughs> Snapchat. <laughs> And this was off the back of the stuff we've, we've done with uh, the UK Space Agency. So we, we sent them that video and was like, look, look at what we're doing with your, your rivals. We managed to get on a call, didn't really? I pitched in a new series called The Truth About. It's a 10 episodes for their Discover feed and it launches this week. So that's, even though it's not launched yet, I'm quite proud of that because again, what Lee referenced to earlier, it's so difficult to to get these relationships with the platforms. And again, this was this is why Lee's the visionary because I think it was six weeks ago, it was like Snapchat. We're, Snapchat is what you need to do, not next year you're on Snapchat. And I think at the start of this year it was like Snapchat, I just kept saying it. And then he done an intro to someone and was like, look, I want you to speak to them about Snapchat. I was like, okay, I get, yeah, I'll get the picture. And then it's four weeks later, we've got a show on there. So it's uh, it's incredible. But that's one thing recently that I'm really, really excited about. I was going to just say one thing as well, just that we've got going, um, it's a, a construction one again, but something we're revisiting, it's boots on the ground. So we did, we did a series with, I mean, they weren't even a charity back then, actually. This was a couple of years ago with a, a group of 
tradespeople that got together called Band of Builders, and they basically it's a charity by tradespeople for tradespeople, and they they help tradespeople in need. And we covered that almost like a DIYSOS type thing, but through social. On the weekend, we started the sort of latest series of that, and I think we've not done one in a while. So I'm I'm really pleased that we're sort of able to support that again because I think they do amazing work and they've they've finally become a, an actual sort of proper charity like registered charity with a number and everything which is really difficult you know found out through that process it's very very difficult to get so really proud of those guys and and yeah really pleased that we're able to support that type of project and uh, and cover those sort of things so it's, uh, it's good yeah just to uh just to add to that as well i think it's important because tradespeople often get tarred with the same brush and you know you, you always see like you know your rogue traders um, and there's yeah, always sort of like nightmare stories with tradespeople, and it's it's the horrible scaffolders wolf whistling at women on the on the street, and you know the white van man. So yeah, I feel it's important that we actually show the good side of the community because no one else seems to be doing it at the minute. Definitely, and I think I mean it sounds like you're doing a really good job of that. You've given me some really good examples there. But something else I'm wondering about is when you were talking about the Snapchat thing and how quickly you went from reaching out to them to suddenly you're about to go live. And I'm interested in that kind of area about like networking and getting new clients and stuff and how much of the opportunities that you have comes from networking or content that you publish that people see and think is cool. It's something that I've noticed just making this podcast is since I've launched it, suddenly like lots of people have like got in touch with me about different opportunities to do with the podcast or my work life all sorts of things and I wondered is that something similar for you yeah I mean we made a a real conscious effort I would say I'd what two maybe even three years ago now yeah probably three years ago to to sort of speak openly about the stuff we were doing I guess you know it could sort of comes back to that I think Networking's a funny one, isn't it? Because I think I think networking has sort of changed uh, its its sphere, particularly over the last like eighteen months, given the circumstances. I think, yeah, but I still think it's that you know that idea. I think we've got much better at talking about what we do without sounding like dickheads, because I think we're doing a lot, and I think sometimes you can you can do a lot of great things and then talk about them and just sound like you're talking about them because you're doing great things, you know, rather than talking about the great things you're doing I think they're two different things right because you, you you don't want to come across like you're saying it because you want to tell people that you're doing great you want to just tell people because you're doing great things and they're having an impact and I think we've just got good at doing the balance of that you know and, and I think more importantly we've got really good as a company doing it you know ad pushed for creating one of the slack channels now which is things to shout about and it's it's just good stuff we're doing as a company and by doing that you know Two weeks ago, we hit 100 people in the team, which is amazing, you know, and never, yeah, quite a poignant moment. And we tried to have it because we were like, doesn't really mean the business is doing great, but it's a great thing to be able to talk about. And a great thing, you know, it's a great feeling to be able to employ another 98 people during a period of time that jobs are hard to come by. We're, we're in a position where we're creating loads of them, which is brilliant. But actually then what we've created is the culture for people to talk about the company they're working for and the things that we're doing. So it doesn't have to just come from the business owners which can sometimes not be, yeah, can can be sort of perceived in different ways. So I think we're we're really trying to build a culture for, I guess, if you, you know, for our people to network. And, and uh, we've already seen the benefit of that over the last four weeks, you know, some of the stuff that we've been speaking about and then the, the follow-up we've had from it and 
you know, the perseverance thing is exactly that, you know, it got us an intro to someone, got us an interest somewhere else. And then straight away we were that. And I think that's always how we did it. We, when we, we were trying to raise money and instead of going around with a deck, we were like, let's just cover it. So we, we did a series called 99 problems, but the pitch ain't one and vlogged it every week. And each week we'd, we'd show like how we'd been into a pitch and like cocked it up and, you know, I had really bad feedback and like been like, oh shit, where do we go from that? But it was our way of being able to go like, look, this is what we're doing. We feel like we're, you know, we're pretty authentic. We don't try and like, like bullshit our way through it. We are who we are. We definitely don't know it all. We're just like a couple of mates who got together and we're trying to like navigate our way through. And it's kind of how we've always approached it. So it's really important to us that we're, that we're honest and authentic on how we, market the business and how we network and how we talk and i think it allows us to make better connections i would definitely say that i found it really interesting then when you started that and you said that you tried to get the balance right between telling everyone you're doing a good job and not wanting people to think that you're just trying to like make yourselves look good and it's so interesting because I've had this conversation a lot on this podcast and my most recent episode was with a girl who has set up her own yoga business and she's having that same battle where she doesn't want to post stuff and just like people think that she's just like trying to make herself look good but if they're your achievements like it's really important to celebrate them especially if you need to market your business so I find it's such an interesting battle that so many people face and I was going to ask you then about personal branding but you mentioned something that I find maybe even more interesting, which is using your employees to brand yourself. Maybe using is the wrong word. I don't mean it in a negative sense. I mean it in a, in a positive sense. You have a uh, hundred employees that are, ha- I assume, happy to work for you and enjoying it. And you're celebrating that by getting them to kind of use their voice a bit. So I wondered if you could explain a little bit about that and the positives of it. Yeah. And again, it's not forced uh, because then it, it doesn't become uh... We take advantage of the people that work yeah. with us now. I'm it's in the contracts. They have to post three <laughs> times a week. Um, no. So I think what, what makes it difficult for people is knowing what to communicate uh, and not having cross lines. So my idea with, with the Slack channel Lee mentioned was to have everyone singing from the same page. And that was if they wanted to, because a lot of people, they, you know, they do love working for us and, and they're very, very passionate about working at electric house. And we see them posting things on LinkedIn all the time, but this was about giving them the sort of like the tools to do it and going, look, here's a video, here's a, here's an image, here's a, here's our official statement. You put it in your own words and do what you want with it, and it's actually worked really well. And I've seen a lot a lot of um, benefit off the back of that. Um, but we the thing is, we're doing so many incredible things, and we've done a really poor job of talking about them. I think because we've always had head down. Also, we we've not really sort of looked after our PR and marketing like we should have I think that's fair to say to the point where we haven't really got one uh, <laughs> at the minute but yeah I think it's it's it is important because I think people within the business that aren't closely connected to things like the Mars landing so they might work in accounts or they might work in HR it's good for them to know what type of business we're working for and it's good to them to be able to get involved in it and a lot of things we're doing that actually don't know about so it's more for internal as it is for external but one thing I always vet in my head is like okay well is this meaningful you know what I mean like yeah it's like if we, if we hit like a 10 million revenue we're like we've just hit 10 million revenue like why is that who cares you know, are we donating five percent to charity is that why it's important like why why are we talking about it i think that's one question we always ask ourselves is like and sometimes there will be a little bit of a well hopefully 
Snapchat see it, and then they, you know, they'll go, oh, I don't like that doing that with TikTok. Maybe we should, we should take these guys seriously. So there are hidden, hidden agendas, but always it's like, like Lee said, there, hundred jobs. Yeah, it might look great, but you know, all that's done is increase our overheads. To be honest, um, it doesn't mean we're making more money. What it means is during a global pandemic, we've managed to employ fifty-five people. That is pretty cool. Like that is that is something I'm really proud of. Fifty-five people, fifty-five families that uh, are now able to sort of like keep a roof over their head. So it's, for me, that's what it's about. Yeah. And I think, again, we just work on the 80-20 rule. There's always going to be 20% of other stuff that underlies it, you know, these these messages and, uh, oh, well, we're doing stuff about this and we might end up being able to get X, Y, and Z off it. Brilliant. But if 80% of the message isn't impactful or, as I said, meaningful, then we probably shouldn't talk about it. And I think that's, you know, on the the whole, like, I don't think we have been very good at talking about what we've been doing, but I think it's because we're mindful of being like, well, do we want to be like, look at us? Like, this is, you know, there's always a way of positioning it. Whereas I think we're just getting better at that now. And and look, if you've got a uh, an army of advocates in the people that, that work for the business that can do it as well, then, you know, that can only be a positive thing. Definitely. Yeah, I definitely agree. And it's so funny because so many of my guests, have said the same thing about I have had so many people on this podcast that have done amazing things and they've had incredible careers set up amazing agencies and yet they just have this block about being able to like shout about it or talk about it and it's especially funny when we work in marketing but when it comes to ourselves it's like oh god I can't how how can I market myself well it's the thing that agencies get wrong the most they don't they, they promote everyone else's brand really well, but then they don't do their own. And I think we've been guilty of that. I think we've had a thread and luckily now we've got a bit of a, you know, we've got a bit of a team sort of more centrally focused on electric house now, which I think is going to be really, but we've already started to see we've just within two weeks, we've started seeing the impact of that. So, you know, um, but you're totally right. It's, it's uh, the irony of, you know, agency services and publishing groups, not being able to publish themselves is, is hilarious really, isn't it? But we're getting there. Yeah, definitely. And also, I think as well, when you were talking about stuff like you would say, oh, we've employed all these people, but like it's not doesn't mean we're making any more money yet, etc. So even then you were kind of telling me the negative. But actually, I think the positive there is that I assume it's really with the goal of making a long term change and like you've got a really big long term vision. And I wondered if you can explain a little bit about like what is that vision? Not you don't have to tell me all the detail of exactly like your five year plan, but I just mean if you could like look forward to the future of your businesses, what would you really hope for them? Lee, you've been working on the vision recently. This is a great <laughs> question. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of work on this. It's uh, so hard. It feels like you do weeks of work for one line, you know, and uh, in a, I really do mean that. Um, look, I think we're getting closer to being able to sort of understand you know, the why and all of that. But I think more broadly speaking, there's there's, there's probably a couple of visions, but, but they sort of lead to the same point. I, I think there's two focuses. One is within the region. So within Birmingham, we really want to make sure that we are having an impact to within the community. And whether that be from a CSR perspective, whether that be within, you know, the creative services sort of industry and sector is is really having a, a huge amount of investment in within Birmingham and doing some incredible stuff. We want to make sure that we're part of that or, or whether it's like uh, to add to point of, you know, making sure we can create 
more jobs and work with universities and with schools to make sure that our recruitment is more diverse and and uh, more inclusive and more impactful like that's a real focus for us the region you know we moved to Birmingham what, a year, just over a year ago now and you know we love it and we love the city and we want to make sure we're having that impact I think second to that more broadly is again it's about community though it's kind of it's one of the, the the biggest things to come out of the exercise we've gone through and and um, and revisiting things that we've done and, and trying to look at what that vision is and ultimately it is about creating and curating UK communities like that's what we do and, and we want to do more of that and whether that is within the region of Birmingham for electric house or whether is that that's actually through our communities that we build online and and we're starting to now have the ability and, and foresight to take those communities offline as well and deliver more products offline and uh, events and I think what's going to happen is the vision for electric house is that you know we, we will be the biggest creator and curator of, of UK communities you know and, and it doesn't mean that it's on social it's just UK communities it's it's how we start we accidentally built on the tools because we knew that we needed those group of people together and then from that we've kind of never really looked back and whenever we approach anything now we're always community first we're always like right build the community first and then we'll look at what other opportunities we can do but we've got to you don't build a community by selling to them like end of right you build a community by giving them value so we we work on that first and then you know sure enough yeah you can build businesses off the back of it it's brilliant you know and there's lots of opportunity but nine times out of ten even the the money we're making from those communities is a value to them and 30, 40, 50% of it is going back in anyway with the amount of original programming we're doing, with the amount of like events we're running. So it's like this beautiful sort of flywheel of like of building communities. It's only getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so, you know, Electric House will look to build more communities and acquire more communities and connect those communities with each other and offer more services to brands. And, you know, it's it's we will build the biggest sort of ecosystem of communities there is. That's the vision. Sounds amazing. You've got plenty in store. Uh, We are quite close to finishing now. So I normally finish on a final couple of questions that I ask everybody. So first question is just over the past year, is there any either brand or organisation or person or community that you feel that you've really admired for something that they've done? It could be content that they've pushed out or a campaign or something that you've enjoyed. I mean, mine would be Gymshark, um, Birmingham-based, so just love that big tick for us anyway. But I think during the pandemic, they've done lots of, like, really, really good CSR, like, through donating, you know, that I think it was a sweat for, for a fiver, or I can't remember what it was, but they did a really good campaign around that. But they continue to, like, just innovate and do stuff that I don't see many other businesses doing, and they're based in Birmingham. So I'm a big advocate. I, I think they've done an incredible job of, of both balancing, like, growth and by that i mean like revenue growth and and sort of um, positioning as the brand but then equally being able to look like a brand and be a brand that is perceived as really looking after its people and i think that's really hard to do when you're doing both of those things through a pandemic i just think they've yeah i would definitely highlight those i'm 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 struggling i'll be honest with you i I know there's there's a few big businesses that have paid back a lot of the furlough money they took and I, I, i'm really good gutted i can't think of the names screw, of screw fix was one with screw, screw fix one, one right yeah, yeah there's, a, there's, a good, there's a good few companies that have done that and i think it's a really good way of of sort of communicating that they, they are giving back to the the overall picture which is you know everyone so i think i, I like that but i don't really 
I'd, you know, I'd say on the tools for talking trades, but it's a bit of a selfish plug. <laughs> it's not allowed. Sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, no, it's no, I think that's a really good example actually of yeah, paying back furlough money. And so final question for you both is if you could go back in time to when you first met, if whatever age that was, what advice would you like to give yourselves and maybe each other? That's a great question. I mean, yeah, it's a big one though, isn't it? Um Do you remember when you first met? Um, I've got a, a memory out of before you moved to Wilnica, but we, but you knew you were, you started coming over to Wilnica a bit. And I remember being on the lane and kicking a football up and down there with, with you and, uh, and Fernio. Wow. That's weird, isn't it? Yeah. That is a good, I've got a good memory there to be fair. I don't know what, I don't know what I'd say to Lee. You know what? I'm a, I, I'm a very, very like fond believer in not having any regrets because I believe everything that's happened to me has led me to this point, good and bad. And, you know, even the tragic things that have happened, I think actually like you would not be standing where you are now without those things. I'd probably, you know, tell him to have a better haircut, maybe something like that. I'll I tell you wear what I would do. Oh, wear a hat more. Yeah. I would tell myself or tell Ad, and I think Ad's got a better grip of this and, you know, I'm getting there with it. But from a like a well-being point of view definitely have more focus like I spent a couple of years growing the business and just really like not taking that great a care of myself it was very much like do or die with the business you know what I mean and, and I think in reality it's like it's only going to lead in you know in a terrible direction and, and end game with it and I think I've definitely got a better balance of that now that would be one thing I would definitely say to anyone starting a business or to myself it's going to be really hard and you've got to absolutely commit to it, but you haven't got to kill yourself doing it because it's just bigger things in life to get on with. Uh, yeah. I know I've got one. I would say to Lee, start the YouTube channel earlier. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. I would have said that to you. That was, that was, yeah. I would have said it to you, mate. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a good one. Definitely. Well, I think that is a great note to end on. So thank you so much, both of you, for your time today. I've really, really enjoyed it. Uh, thank you. No, thanks yeah, for thank you. Really it's appreciate a, it. It's been a pleasure actually talking yeah, about definitely. We don't do it very often, do we? Because we're always looking forward. You don't really look back that often. And uh, I think there's a lot of value in looking back and uh, sort of reminiscing. Definitely. If people want to um, get in touch with you, where would you like to send them? Uh, I mean, LinkedIn for both of us, isn't it? Or the electric CEO is all the other handles on mine. I can put your links in the show notes as well. Brilliant. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You've just been listening to an episode of Mad Influence. This episode was recorded remotely with music by Joseph McDade. Thank you so much to everyone who's reached out with positive feedback recently. If you do get a chance, it would mean a lot if you can please subscribe, rate and review the podcast as this will really help it to grow.